incredible. You are incredible. Uh, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I think I'm coming down with something, so I can, you know, my voice sounds deeper. Uh, yeah, so I think actually Chris and I are kind of battling something, aren't we? If it's too loud. Could we, uh, Raj, could you turn me down a bit? Maybe turn me off. <laughs> right about, how's that? Is that good? I have to say so. Test, test, test. Yeah, is it good? All right. Well, we can adjust as time goes on. Uh, good morning again. <laughs> Hopefully, this will clear up as I get talking. But um, one of the books I'm reading on prayer is by a, a pastor named Bingham Hunter. Um, he, when he was a kid, they called him Bing. Bingham Hunter. He writes a story about how uh, when he first saw Bing Crosby and as, uh, you know, there's a movie where he's a a priest and uh, he thought that's what pastors were supposed to be. Anyway, um, uh, the book that he writes, God Who Hears, is about prayer. It's an excellent um, book. It's it's not very technical. It's just, uh, it's kind of a, um, you know, a, a showing of how we can, Commune with God in prayer, which is our subject. But anyway, uh, he writes about how in the 1970s, and I'll just quote it from the book, he said, I worked with worldwide pictures as an evangelist. I would accompany the films and explain the gospel message to those in attendance. In our case, the entire family was involved. After helping us set up and watching film showings for several months, Doug, his son, who then was about five years old, once regaled us with the following mimicry of the essentials of my ministry. So little Doug says this. All right, all you people, we've got a really good movie to show you tonight about Jesus. But first, we're going to take the offering. Give me all your loose money. (coughs) Have I got it all? Okay, show the film. And he said they were all in hysterics at this little, with this little kid. That was his picture. Unfortunately, that's a lot of people's picture of church. Isn't it? Um, the reason we have church is so that we have a time to gather together, to be together as God's people. Uh, and in that time to hear his word and also fellowship with one another and worship him together. And that's the whole purpose of church is to get us together to learn God's word and so that we grow together uh, and that we uh, help one another, uh, come to know one another. And and what's what's the nice thing about this church is that it's small enough that everybody knows everybody. Um, And, you know, uh, but most importantly is for us to hear and hear his word and have God's word uh, correct us and cleanse us and also uh, help us to grow up. And so we grow up together uh, as we worship God. So it really is, um, you know, I probably don't say this enough, but I'm, I'm really very privileged to be a pastor of such a fine congregation. Uh, we not only here, but online, our Zoom meeting on Friday was, there were five of us, I think, and uh, it was just wonderful. Um, People just sharing uh, their lives, and <clears throat> we didn't really have any topic. We just chatted about God and about ourselves, and it was really something. Um, and so with that, let's uh, open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the time that we have together. 
to hear his word, to sing to him, and also to just to relax and enjoy the truth. And so with that, in humility, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for a day in which we can be together and hear your word. We thank you that you are gracious and patient and love us, and that you have invited us to share in your love. You have revealed it through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that through his sacrifice that you have provided for us a brand new life, a life of eternity with you, and by faith, and only by faith, have we acquired it. That life is above and beyond anything that we could think or imagine. And though, Father, we often get distracted by other things in life, by sin, by ourselves, that you are always faithful. As uh, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, your grace is new every morning. So whatever anybody's going through while we're here today, none of that matters. What matters is you and your word, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit who will speak it to us. We thank you, Father, for your greatness and your love. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All rise, please.
All right. Uh, we're going to start in John 17. So we've um, sort of introduced prayer as a doctrine. We're going to uh, now turn from what, what we have been doing is uh, mostly based on uh, encountering God in prayer uh, for the purpose of uh, you know, seeking Him, seeking His Word, the meaning of His Word, what it means to you. Uh, it's, I think it's probably the most overlooked part of prayer that we think all of us think immediately of. We're gonna that prayer is when we're asking God for things, and that's absolutely true. Uh, but the the seeking of God, His person, His truth, and using prayer consistently you know, throughout the day. I I have become such a fan of the five minute. Uh, here and there, prayer from anywhere. You know, I'm very happy. It, it, it makes all the difference to me. Um, when I'm entering a situation or a, a, about to speak to somebody or just a few minutes of getting my head right uh, and talking to him, thanking him, being more grateful for the stuff that I have. Uh, I think a lot, we, we take a lot for granted. We do. And it's, it's sadly, it's until we lose things that we realize how valuable they were. And <clears throat> you know, prayer is a place to pursue those kinds of things, you know, to be a grateful person, a thankful person. It, make all, it makes all the difference in life. To make sure my perspective is correct. You know, when I'm dealing with people, am I dealing with people in love and God's love as I should? Or am I reverting back to, you know, what I used to do, you know, how I used to treat people? Uh, it's, a whole, it's a whole new thing now, now that we have been given God's love. It's been given to us as a gift. It says in Romans 5 that it has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we, we're called to this. There's another aspect of prayer we've spoken quite a bit about, is that eternal life, is a quality of life, as the Bible depicts eternal life, not so much in its length, but in its quality. Uh, what, what is eternal life? The virtue of it, the quality of it, uh, the joy that's in it, the, the holiness that it is. And that to walk that life and to live in that life, we've got to be very alert and very careful uh, because we get so easily distracted by things that are not of eternal life. And, but they're things that we have to take care of. But they're not, necess- you know, uh, I don't know, food shopping. <laughs> Which, thankfully, my wife does that. I, I don't really like all that that much. But like things like laundry and going to work and dealing with your car or whatever. These are all things that we have to deal with. And they can really get, we can hyper-focus on them and get distracted by them. And here we are, people walking around in this life with eternal life, a life of joy, a life of love, a life of happiness. It's the life of the Trinity. And yet we're bored, we're depressed, we're bitter, we're angry. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it doesn't. And, and so that's why we, we've got to be 
alert. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, awake sleeper. Or as Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, um, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, right? He says, be alert and sober. And, and there he tells us to depend upon our faith. So what we're going to talk about this morning is encountering God. Um, but in prayer, our encountering with him, and we're going to start the method here too, that we're to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, and this is very clearly delineated to us. And what I want to start with in looking at that is note how the whole Trinity is involved when we're praying. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we're to continually pray in the Spirit, so by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're also told in Romans 8 that the Spirit prays for us, so when we're praying, the Spirit is... The Spirit has taken, this is, it's, it's crazy to us, but just so you know, the Trinity is crazy. Right? The Trinity makes no sense whatsoever. And so man couldn't have made it up. No one would have made that up. Uh, <clears throat> but the Spirit has taken the role of the one who glorifies the Father and the Son, not himself, and that the Spirit interprets our prayers. And we, we shake our heads at this and say, why would God need an interpreter? He's omniscient. But rightly so. The Holy Spirit is God. And he, it says that he prays for us and that he prays for us in words or groanings, as Paul writes, that are beyond us, that are hard, that would be impossible for us to understand. So, and through the mediation of the Son, that means a lot more than just saying his name. In Jesus' name, amen. It's way more than that. And we have to be careful about that because we just tack it on at the end or at the beginning. And we don't really give it much thought. And we need to. And we'll look at that. And we pray to the Father. So we address a triune God. Our prayers are only heard through the distinct work of each person in the Godhead. And the Godhead, the Trinity, uh, is something that we also take for granted. I, I think probably because it's so beyond our, it's so alien to our, our human minds, how God can be one and three. But, <clears throat> and, uh, but the Trinity becomes very explicit in the New Testament. It's not as explicit in the Old Testament by far. It's there. The Trinity's there, but uh, in the beginning, God created, let's make uh, man in our image, right? He uses a plural pronoun for himself. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit a little bit at work in the Old Testament. Of course, the Son is there as well, uh, and all of them are depicted as God. But it's, there's not a lot written of it. Uh, <clears throat> One of the several plausible explanations for the fact that the Trinity is not super clear in the Old Testament is that the rampant polytheism of the ancient religions that Israel really uh, were attracted to. So it's, it's, a, it's a plausible explanation. We don't really know why. But we also know that revelation in the scripture is progressive. So we start with a knowledge of God in Genesis and more and more knowledge of God and his plan and his program are revealed as, we, as the Bible continues. Uh, 
so in the New Testament, the Trinity takes, uh, I mean, it really comes out in multiple passages where God is depicted as three, all in one sentence, where all are shown to be God. And we say, well, why is that important? Well, before there were any creatures, some people think that God made man because he was lonely. Right? It was like he didn't have anyone to fellowship with, which is ridiculous. But we, we remember that the, the Trinity is three. And so before any, there were any creature, God loved. We say God is love. But if there's no one to love, well, then, you know, love takes on a new dimension when there's someone in front of you that it demands your love. And, you know, so before creatures, did God have someone to love? And most certainly he did. The other members of the Trinity we find that the members of the Trinity serve one another. They speak to one another. And so they share a relationship. And what kind of relationship is that? A relationship of love, joy, intellect, right? sharing words, meaning. I mean, if there's any great relationship, it has to be there. For eternity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, love one another, share with one another, serve one another, speak to one another, and have this amazing relationship with one another. And then, they invite us into it. That's really what eternal life is. Invited to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been invited into their relationship. And they, uh, we see in the scripture that the father takes the role of a planner. He establishes the, de- the decrees. The son voluntarily takes his place uh, as the one who would take humanity upon himself. As one writer described it, imagine a, a beautiful brand new Ferrari that got a bunch of mud on it. That's the that's was his de- depiction of the hypostatic union. <laughs> it, there's there's really no good image for uh, the Trinity or the hypostatic union. But <clears throat> you know, deity is the Ferrari, and humanity is the mud. But he took humanity upon himself. Yeah, not the other members of the Trinity didn't do that. He did. He becomes the Messiah, which in Greek is Christos, Mashiach in Hebrew which the Jews knew that was the Messiah, that was the one who would come and save. The anointed one is another meaning to that. So Jesus becomes the Messiah of Israel and the world, and the Holy Spirit voluntarily takes the role of glorifying the Son and the Father and revealing them to us, not himself. The Spirit does not reveal himself to us, the Spirit reveals the Son and the Father. So the three persons within the unity of God's being, who are equally divine, all God, who know and love one another, and who for all eternity have worked for our salvation and our entrance into their life. I find that astounding. So it's no wonder that God wants us to speak to him. He seeks for us to speak to him. Uh, And so... That's why we start in John 17. 
the sphere of their life is a sphere of love. Right? What's, the, what's the unity in the body of Christ? Love. Love is the perfect bond of unity. We're to be in Philippians 2 of the same mind, same love. And <clears throat> love is the most wonderful of things. Uh, I, I hope, and we're all in this room old enough, that's not, I'm not going to crack any old jokes, just so you know, but all of us have lived long enough to have experienced someone's love that was genuine for us when we didn't deserve it, when in fact we deserve the opposite. Uh, when we have been completely guilty and forgiven and loved, and told, don't worry about it. It's in the past. It's forgotten. Let's move on. And I'm never going to leave you. All, uh, if you've not experienced that, I feel bad, but I'm sure all of us have. And that, that, <laughs> this, that is a small, tiny morsel of God's love for us. I, I, we're, we're the fallen ones, we're the sinful ones, we're the ones that are in the wrong. Born that way. And God became a man and took upon himself all of our sins. This perfect God-man who didn't deserve any of it. And he voluntarily took it upon himself so that he could save us and enter us into the relationship that the Trinity has shared for eternity. And now we have that. And our sins, as we've noted, uh, was last week. Romans 8, 1, there's, well, my, Romans 7, you should, always, you should always think of Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when you think of that passage, and I hope you quote that a lot, because I certainly do, uh, that, don't forget Romans seven twenty five. that's before it. Just before it, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so my relationship, the Trinity doesn't kick me out when I fall. They don't say, turn around, don't look at us. You're filthy. They don't do that. That's why God says, pray. Pray continually. Paul writes, pray continually. Bad day, sinful day, terrible day. Pray. You say, well, I can't come to God as, as, with sin in my heart. That's true. So confess it and pray. Confess it and pray. Talk to Him. And uh, so here, look at John 17. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is not the, not the Our Father who is in heaven. But the entire chapter of John 17 is our Lord's Prayer, most likely in Gethsemane. This hours before he faces the cross. And we'll just read a, the, the end of it. Look at verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So are you in the Bible? Yes, you are. There you are. Right? When he says, I don't ask on, the, on behalf of these alone, he means the disciples who are with him. But for, all, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
Right? And there, a side issue here is the fact that when we all understand that we have eternal life, all of us by the grace of God, and that as a result, because of God's love, we love one another, that is the most powerful witness of the gospel. Jesus says here, if they, the world will believe when we behave as those who have eternal life with one another. And so, but the most important part of this is, you know, what does it mean to be in him? I mean, we don't have, this is another thing that we don't have in our world. A person can't be in another person. Not like this. What does it mean to be in them? He says, me, uh, they may all be one, even as you, Father, you're in me, I'm in you, Father, and they are in us. So what does this mean? Well, maybe I don't know what it means, but what we understand at least is that this eternal eternal relationship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit is, is something that, so if we can understand how the Father and the Son are in one another, because that's what he says, you're in me, I'm in you, and they're in us. So it's the same thing. So this relationship between the Father and the Son All we can understand of it is really that it is immensely precious and immensely loving and eternal and without conflict or rift or anything. It is this perfect unity. And the the Trinity now, through their work, have put us in it. And you have it, and I have it. And it's astounding. Yeah, and then we get all miserable because we feel sick, or the mechanic said it's going to cost two thousand. <laughs> that just happened to us. <laughs> uh, and you know, whatever you know, what, whatever it is. Ah, the Republicans didn't win the House. What's going to happen to the world if that happens? Boy, oh boy. Oh, he's right. You can talk, Roger. <laughs> um, you know, and, and and yet, you know, we, we get absorbed with things. And these things that we get absorbed with make us miserable, and they lead us into various addictions as we try to cope with our misery. And we all have our ways of doing that. We self-anesthetize. So this this is something that we need to be praying about, exploring with God. Well, let's continue. Verse twenty two: The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be, that they may be one, just as we are one. See that. So what else have we received? God's very glory, so that we may be one. You have God's glory. I have God's glory. So we may be one, just as they are. I in them, and you in me that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and you love them, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
See, that's the eternal relationship of the Trinity. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Incredible. So this... um, and and he, he speaks to us here of knowing. If you go back to verse 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, our knowing them, that is, what does he call it? This is eternal life. So, wait a minute, eternal life is like living a long time. It is. I mean... The longest amount of time, right? It's, there's no time involved. But, you know, it's, it's not just being in a real nice body in a real nice place forever with no more sin. Oh, God, I can't wait. <laughs> but this, um, this is knowing the Father, knowing the Son. We say no, know the, know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job now is to get us to know the Father and the Son. And so we've been put here in this relationship. I in them and them in me. And I, do, I just love how the eternity of the Father and Son are here. You loved me before the foundation of the world. This eternal love that the Father and the Son have and we have it. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul writes, For the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Right? When was the Holy Spirit given to you? The moment of salvation, just like at Pentecost, when he came down upon all the people, all the believers. And here we have the love of God poured out. I think King James has shed abroad. It's a nice translation. In our hearts through the Holy Spirit was given to us. So this, the understanding of the love of God is a progressive thing that continues throughout our Christian lives if we're pursuing it if we're pursuing God's Word and pursuing Him, then we're going to come to know more and more of what this love is. And the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it. So it is, it's difficult to put into words the description of the mind and soul that lives in this world, but really lives in their world, the Trinity. You know, I live here, but I really live there. All believers know of its potential. And I think a great many believers have experienced it from time to time. And I'm not talking about the mountaintop experience. Which, um, yeah, I've had at least one of those that I can remember. Uh, but, I mean, the, the living in this world with joy and grace and hope and great faith and happiness, um, I already said joy, right? That's my favorite part to this, is being happy. It's got to be, it. that's the thing I love the most. And I just want to whack my head against the, the wall when I, I become miserable. And, I'm, and when I recognize it, I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you thinking this way? It's just plain stupid. Not wretched man that I am. 
But what's wonderful about this is you can recover that. You can recover. So, again, I'm not talking about the mountaintop experience. I'm talking about really living in this world, but you're living in God's world. In the Trinity, I in them, them in me. And that's exactly what God wants for us. So go to Luke chapter 9. So why don't we do this so easily? Uh, You know. The Lord knows too, so we'll let him tell us. You know what he's going to (laughs) say. This is exactly what God wants for us, and he is consistently trying to show it to us. One of the themes in the Gospel of John is come and see. Jesus says it multiple times, and he says it right at the front when Andrew, we think it's Andrew and John, are following him, and they say uh, Jesus turns around. I I think he startled them because they're, um, John the Baptist says, look, there he goes, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew and John were disciples of John, so they followed the Lord, and the Lord turned around and he said, what are you after? They were like, uh, you know, we want. Where do you live? That's what they asked him. Where are you staying? And he said, Come and see. And they spent all afternoon with him. But we don't get a word of what they talked about. But we don't have to. We can imagine. Come and see. So Jesus says, Look, I'm picking up my cross and I'm going somewhere. Do you want to follow me? And uh, we. Or we resist it. It's it's incredible how much we resist this. But anyway, Luke 9.23, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is. Why don't we do it? Well, you can't follow him and follow you at the same time. As the Lord said, you can't serve two masters. He says, pick up your cross. Well, what does this mean to pick up our cross? Does it mean that, you know, some kind of self-flagellation or ascetic pain? Give it, you know, like an ascetic gives pain to themselves. It's not that at all. But it is, uh, the cross is final. You know, when the Romans hung you on a cross, you weren't coming down. Uh, well known to be one of the most, if not the most, agonizing deaths that anyone could experience because it's not fast either. You could be up there for days. Uh, but, you know, it's final. Your cross is your crucifixion. Pick up your cross means recognize that I have crucified you. Your old self is dead. And Paul spells this out beautifully in Romans chapter 6. We've been crucified with him, but we've also been made alive with him in resurrection. So as it says in Ephesians 4, we have an old self and a new self. The old self has been crucified. The new self has been created by the Father for holiness and the truth. It's exactly what it's made for. The righteousness, righteousness, holiness, and the truth is is how he puts it. So... We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Notice and we're, we're to live a day at a time. So we can't say, you know, you should have saw me yesterday. Uh, it was really spiritual. 
or are you shy? Thank God you didn't see me yesterday because I was about as spiritual as uh, the devil. Uh, so the, um, the picking up your cross is every day. And that's uh, if, as I was talking to uh, uh, someone was sharing with us on, at the Zoom meeting, uh, this fine woman of God said if she doesn't start her day off with Bible study, then her whole day is completely different. And it's the same for me, even though I pretty much spend every day in Bible study. But if I don't do my own personal study at the front of the day, and if I don't have my personal prayer time at the front of the day, it, the whole day's different. And it, 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 gets us, it gets our spiritual eyes focused on, you know, what, what is this all about? My life and the life of others in this world. What is it all about? And that we can, under, we can understand what it's all about and focus on that. And so, on a day-by-day basis, we have to deny ourselves and remind ourselves that we've been crucified with Christ. Now, I'm a new creature in Christ, and that's the one you're going to see today. Right? That is the mindset. So Jesus continues here in verse 24, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Now this this isn't about eternal salvation, right? That would be salvation by works. This is life. The the word here is suke. The Greek word used suke means soul, but it really refers to the quality of life and that I can lose that quality of life if I'm trying to save myself. And that's pretty much living for yourself. Saving yourself is living for yourself. And it is, all of us have done it. right? It's, it's a horrible life. It's like endless misery. And then you get these little glimmers of, oh, things are getting better. I think I'm going to make myself finally happy. And then it just, it just dashes away. It's like a rat in a maze trying to get cheese. It's, it's, you're never going to find it. So Jesus says, then for, for what if, what is, sorry, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What did you get? Bunch of stuff. But what did you what did it cost you? Your life. And again, we're not talking about physical life here or we're talking about eternal life, but the quality of eternal life. And we gave that up. For what? Some stuff. Uh, a fleeting good time. Those are the ones. Those are the ones that have always gotten me. Not that I'm up here to confess my sins or my weaknesses to you, but you know the fleeting good time, the promise of a good time. It was always the thing that, yeah, all of us have stuff that draws draws us. We all we know what it is. Again, you don't have to live that long before you figure out what it is. And is it worth it? You know, it, obviously, in reading the passage, I say no. We, we have to. Ask ourselves, is it worth it a few hours from now or tomorrow morning or Tuesday afternoon or whenever whenever the thing raises its ugly head and says, look at me, look at me. And it's the sinful thing. It's the old self. 
And we have to we have to remind ourselves. And hence, you know, and I was I read uh, all of Colonel Theme's notes on prayer yesterday, and uh, <coughs> as most of you have experience with him, and he's very adamant that prayer is not a problem-solving device. He's very adamant about that. I'd say it in his voice, but I won't do it. Well, actually, my deep voice today, I might be able to pull it off. Not a problem solving about You know, you've heard it. And, and you know, and, and one, what he means, what I think he means, he's, he's exactly right. That prayer is not this, look, God, I made a mess of my life. Now I say, in Jesus' name, make it clean and bing and everything's fine. Make sure you say, there's some people who really believe that if you just say, in Jesus' name, God has to do what you tell him. Like, what Bible are you reading, dude? What are you reading? Right? You're taking one passage out of context. Jesus does say, ask in my name and you will get anything. But there's this thing called God's will. And that guy, it has to be in his will. Anyway, we, and we know that. We know that. But we, and it's not... Prayer is not a problem-solving device in that aspect, but prayer is a means by which we can start the problem-solving process. Correct. I mean, you've got to you've got to get good thinking in your in your mind. And how are you going to get it there? You know, remember some verses. Remember some of God's word. Absolutely. But why not go to God in prayer and say, "Hey, help me remember. Help me see." Respectfully, Father. My holy Father in heaven, my mind is astray. Can you help me focus? And I, probably by the time you're done with that sentence, you're already, you're already on your way to getting focused again. Because the stuff that is offered to us in this world that is quote-unquote profit, none of it is worth it. Is it worth my life? It's not. And we have to remember that. So he says, for again, in verse 25, for what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And then he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Uh, you know, do you want Jesus to be ashamed of you? I'm just taking his words here. He says, look, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come in my glory. Now, this, it, it, uh, this wouldn't be, we would say, you know, that it's probably not the rapture of the church or the second coming. If the second coming, what it looks like here is that he's referring to his second coming because it's with the angels. Um, you know, we're not going to be here for that. We're dispensationalists, and we believe that the tribulation is coming before the second coming. And so, you know, we're... Even if we live a long time, we'll be raptured out of here before the second coming. Okay. So we say, I don't have to worry about this. You know? And okay, and I, I would take that. I'm, if we want to get strictly theological, I'll say, I'm not going to be here for the second coming, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but just the fact that he says that he could be ashamed of someone. Do I, even if I'm not here, I mean, I'm, at the second coming, we come back with him. I just was reading that passage. We were talking about it on Friday. In Revelation 19, on those white horses. Yes, there are animals in heaven, at least one type. A white horse. 
Then Keith told me there were cats in heaven. I still don't understand why. <laughs> I hope not. At least if there's cats in heaven, there's no litter boxes. All right? I'm, I'm not, I don't want that. It's not up to me. <laughs> dogs, dogs would be great. Cats? Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Yeah, the second coming of Christ. It, do, would I want to be the type of person who would be in the category of someone that Christ could say, you were ashamed of me, I'm ashamed of you? And it's, it breaks my heart just to hear myself say it out loud. None of us want to be a part of that. We are going to be judged by Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We are going to be judged by him. And he says, I'm going to recompense you according to what you have done, whether good or bad. And so, again, we, we just these things are given to us because the very reality of the relationship of the Trinity, what we started with, if... You know, there's a reality to that relationship and that anything that breaks or is outside of that relationship is not worthy of God. In other words, we're told by Paul, we know really well in our study of Ephesians, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Worthy it actually is a word that's very closely akin to the word glory. Uh, glory actually means weight. Uh, glory can mean, uh, the Greek word axios, can mean uh, weight. And worthy, worthiness has weight to it. So, um, now, then he says, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And that was like, wow, wait a minute. Uh, he means it. So very interestingly, if you read on, what, what, comes, what comes next right after this passage in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel as well, that Peter, James, and John would go up the mountain with the Lord and see him transfigured. And they would see him with Moses and Elijah. And so Jesus says here, you, there's some here standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It, it would seem that the fulfillment of that is when they saw, Peter, James, and John saw the resurrected Lord, saw resurrected Moses and Elijah. And you know what's wonderful about that? If we could call that the kingdom of God. We went up the mountain and we saw the kingdom of God. What did you see? Did you see a big, big castle with spires or you know, a golden city? Did you see? No. What did you see? People. That's what you saw. You saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah. What is the kingdom of God? People. Yeah, I, I've never really met anybody who's really overly thrilled to see the streets of gold. You know, we've talked, we talk about it, but most people are overly thrilled to see the Lord and to be resurrected with no more sin problem and to be perfectly holy and with the Lord. And you think of loved ones that you're going to meet up with again. Right? It's people. So what makes the church? People. Right? The fact that we're in a basement that floods every 10 years, that's not the, that's not the church. It's people. 
And that's why love is of such magnitude. Right? It's the perfect bond of unity. It is the perfect bond of the Trinity. And we've been invited into it. So prayer is a constant reminder to us that we have entered into their world. Because you pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power or by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're reminded of this every time we pray, and that's why it's important not to use the words of prayer flippantly. When you say, our Father, or Father, you should think, even just for a moment or two, why is he your Father? It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, in my name, right? But in the up, we only get in my, this I didn't know until just yesterday or the day before, that praying in the name of Jesus is only in John's Gospel. There's one other place in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, but the, the John 14, 15, 16, and 17, that's where we see pray in my name. All right? And John's Gospel, you know, they would have all known this before John's Gospel was written, because it was written late, but, you know, obviously they would have, uh, the believers would have known that, but... And I didn't know that. Uh, you know, not that it's as long as it's there, it is the truth. So we we pray when we pray in His name. Um, that what that means is, like for instance, in the ancient world, if you were to present yourself to a king, if you were going to come into his court and stand before that king and speak to him, you needed to have a letter of introduction. You had to come, and that's what it meant to be, I'm here in the name of so-and-so. And when we come to the Father, to his court, courtroom, palace, whatever you want to call it, his altar, his throne, that we're there because we're there in the name of Jesus Christ. And just so, we should know that. When we're praying in his name, we just shouldn't say, like in Jesus' name, amen, really flippantly, but to really understand it. And if you understand it and you remember it each time, it creates in you also a, a level of thankfulness, which is another aspect of prayer. Being thankful people. There's just not enough of those people in this world. A bunch of spoiled little brats running around in the West right now. Playing, oh, I'm not even going to go into it. Yeah, there's a prophecy in Isaiah where God says to Israel, I'm going to give you children as your rulers. That's your discipline. Your rulers are going to be like children. And they are. Right? They're getting rich. and they're Leaving it alone. In the Trinity, God, God, and then God says to us, obey your rulers. But their children obey your rulers. I know it. It's like I don't want to. Uh, so we know of no joy higher than being loved and to be able to return that love and have it be received and appreciated. There's no higher thing in the human race. Now, uh, we have Solomon and all the riches in the world. Was he a happy guy? No. Why? He had a thousand women. Happy guy? No. 
He did not have love. The joy of being loved and loving in return. The triune God has known this for eternity. The triune God knows love and joy that's unimaginable and in infinite dimensions. And as Paul would pray that we would see the love of God in its length, breadth, height, and width. And that means all the dimensions of it. God is profoundly happy in an eternal and real relationship with himself in the Trinity. And every believer in this age has been inducted into that alien. Would you call it alien compared to this world? Absolutely. Right? We're strangers here. Uh, and, and all throughout, you know, that we're told we're citizens of heaven. As we just read, we're in them and they are in us. We have an eternal destiny. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, and he said there's plenty of room, right? He said, uh, there, there are many dwelling places in my Father's house. And then he said, if it weren't so, I would have told you. In other words, there's plenty of space. It makes me think, the, the, it's one of my favorite moments when we had a Q&A at Grace Bible Church and somebody asked, how are we all going to fit into the New Jerusalem? And uh, the, the person said, are we going to be like really tiny? <laughs> it was, they were very serious. And it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's all re- if we're all really tiny, right? It's all relative. No, we don't know what tiny is. You know, I don't know. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> There's plenty of room. They, uh, the the Trinity is re- their relationship of love and joy is alien to this world. That's why Jesus said, "Look, they're gonna you're gonna be outcasts. You realize this? That no one is, they're not going to agree with you. They're gonna want to kill you, and they're gonna say that they they're actually gonna think they're doing the will of God." You are not. The world loves its own, but you're not of the world anymore. You're of a different world. And so being of that different world means an alien life here. But it's a life of joy and happiness and peace and hope and kindness and goodness and giving and graciousness. It's just purely joyous. And we all know it. And yet we find ourselves resisting it because we're crazy. (laughs) Joey McCabe that gave his, um, when I did his wedding and him and Sarah, his his vows were wonderful. He wrote his own vows. vows. And uh, the theme of his vows was life is crazy. It was was really great. Let's get a copy of, actually I did have a copy of him, but anyway. Uh, so we have we we're in this the world of the Trinity this wonderfully uh, exciting surprising astounding world of God and yet even though we have this we find ourselves bored unhappy depressed complaining filled with gloomy outlook. And these are the things that lead us to look for substances to help us cope. And we become addicts to drugs, to alcohol, to food, 
to social media, to gambling, to sex, to various forms of entertainment. And we're just, we're coping. We're trying to cope with our own misery. And we become addicts. And then the addiction makes it worse over time. But the, the, the reason why the addiction, people fall into them, as I have and, and probably all of us have at some level, but uh, it's because it provides relief initially. It provides relief. Right? It's like anesthesia. But it's not, it's not real. And because it's not real, it makes things worse over time. In and of themselves, these things are not sinful if they're in the right place. But when we use them in an attempt to give meaning to our lives, they become idols, and then they slowly destroy us. And it's terrible. And the whole time, we've had the Trinity, the life of the Trinity, the realm of the Trinity, the love of the Trinity, the whole time has been right there like low-hanging fruit, just ready to be taken. And we've resisted it. So how are we gonna how are we gonna get over it? You know, as people say, get over yourself. That's that's theologically true. Get over yourself. How are we gonna get over it? We have to, by faith, do what Jesus told us to do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. There's no talisman. There's no like secret. Like this is a way somebody could abuse prayer and say, you know what, Father. I pray you take this addiction away. In Jesus' name, amen. I wish it were that easy. But it's not. What is addiction? Whatever it is, there's many forms of addiction. You have developed the wheel tracks in your brain. You have hardwired your brain to look for the, the fake, the substitute. And by faith, we must resist and say no. I, was, I counseled a guy who had a, an, a certain addiction, and I said, well, look, the first thing you have to do is stop. And he didn't want to hear that. He accused me of talking to him like he was a child. I was like, well, <laughs> you have to stop. At some point, you have, to, you have to stop and then assess. You can't be under the thumb of the idol and assess objectively the idol. If the idol controls you, you can't evaluate it. You have to be away from it and look at it and see it for what it is. And even then, you're not guaranteed success. So you've got to do what Jesus said. Pick up your cross. What does that mean? I'm dead. I'm dead. This part of me is dead. And now what? Follow me. Follow me. Deny yourself. How much? Daily. Follow me. So, finally, to prayer. Prayer, again, is not a problem-solving device. I would agree with Colonel Theme on that. But uh, we can't pray, God, clean up the mess that I've made of my life. I mean, you can. You can pray anything. Um, but and, and will God heed that prayer? You bet. You say, yeah, yeah, we're going to clean it up. Just make sure you know 
that it's not going to be cleaned up like instantaneously. My computer keeps wanting to update. So prayer is one solution from, you know, because really the problem is that we got our eyes off of Christ. We got our eyes off of, and he's the mediator, right? So this introduction into the Trinity comes through him. And so as rightly as the scripture says, we keep our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of faith. And we run, in that passage, we run the race that is set before us. Laying aside, right? It's what he says. Laying aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And we run the race, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ our Lord. And prayer is a way of doing this. Right? It's, it's not praying for God make it all better. It's getting your eyes in the right place. Because that's what's going to give you the power to overcome. God is definitely a problem solver. And he has solved our greatest problem, sin. He solved it through Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes in Romans 8, with him he will freely give us all things. So we pray. We're believer priests. Every believer in this age, in the age of the church, is a priest. And so we have full access to the Father all the time with confidence, boldness, as it says in uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, um, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And in the context, he means access to the Father. And then right after he says that, Paul writes one of his own prayers in Ephesians 3. Okay, so prayer is our part of it. Our encounter with the Trinity, by which right, we pray in the, to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, we, we, we encounter the Trinity and encountering their lives. We are uh, looking upon, what, no matter what we're asking for, we're looking upon them. Right? We're, looking, we're speaking to the Father through the mediation of the Son. And, this, and the power of the Spirit, we're looking upon them and we're, we're uh, putting ourselves, our minds, right where it sh- they should be. Looking upon the one that has invited us into their relationship of love. And when we do that, we uh, are reminded and we're also extremely blessed to be able to see and, and speak to and in, in their way, in God's way, he will speak back. Not audibly, but God said, and we'll see it, Jesus, Jesus put no limits on prayer whatsoever. He says it multiple times, ask anything in my name. He keeps saying it. He says, ask anything in my name. But if you're asking in his name, and he's going he's gonna to show us this, if you're asking in his name, you're abiding in him, you're, or at least you're seeking to abide in him, and that means obedience. And so, as we're, you know, what we're asking for of all of those, whatever it is that we're asking for, the, um, <clears throat> it, the being in his will, the words being in his will, the request being in his will, uh, it, it flows naturally that if we're going to be seeking his will, we need to be living his will. 
And if we're not living His will, that's where we confess. Right? We're confessing our sins. But by, by, being, by seeking His will, we're in His will, under His will. And, and, help, you know, and prayer helps us with this. It, it helps us get our mind's, mind's eye on the right thing and to do it daily, multiple times a day. You find yourself starting to look away. Get on the phone to God. <laughs> call him. I, I always love those little skits that they do where you call heaven and you get the receptionist and they're like, you know, for uh, if you're, you know, I don't know, if you're dying, press one. If you're, you know, if you need money, press two, whatever. You know, you get, we get direct access to the Father multiple times a day because every day is precious for us. Jesus said, look, you only live one day at a time. Every day is precious to us, no matter what the day. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the vehicle of prayer. Thank you for the precious wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son who you sent to suffer immeasurably so that we could be saved. And we are through Him. Through Him you have opened up your uh, yourself, the Trinity. You have put us in the midst of your love and your life. May we grab hold of that, Father, and take full advantage of it. Help us to not be distracted by other things. They're meaningless compared to you. Help us not to be looking at the wrong things. You know, Father, that our flesh uh, drives us towards those things. We ask, Father, that you remind us to have the strength not to fill our minds with useless thoughts that that draw us away from you, but to have our hearts set purely upon you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll take our offering this morning. Oh, that's, that wasn't smart. Sorry. I'm not used to having a runny nose. We'll pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. As your believer priests, we give to you. In worship of you, we ask, Father, that you use these finances to your glory and that you would help our church to reach out, Father, to many, many more. That you would bring people to us who are hungry for your word. And, Father, we we just ask that you bless this, this offering and this church. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Time to fly away. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be together, that you've given us a place to gather. We thank you for all of those who listen online who can't be here with us, who would love to be here. We would love to have them. And we thank you for them. We thank you for all here. We pray, Father, that uh, if anyone is listening uh, that has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, if you haven't, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ 
the Savior of the world. There's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. And Jesus Christ is that name. So believe upon Him and you will be saved. Jesus did all the work. He is the Son of God who took upon Himself humanity. And He's the only one who could do it. He's the only one qualified. Our sinless Savior. He was judged for the sins of the entire world. And therefore, He took our place in judgment. He died and resurrected on the third day. Now He is alive, seated at the right hand of God, and you can be with Him if you believe upon Him. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. We are so grateful, Father, for You and for Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.